Before the show begins, I wanted to give a disclaimer that we had internet connection issues that interfered with the interview itself. Not to worry, it is still comprehensible and a very enjoyable podcast. It's a very important message, and I hope you enjoy. Baruch Hashem, you're a bad Jew. Shalom. Welcome back to Bad Jew. It is awesome to be here. Baruch Hashem, I'm so glad that you're listening and that you're watching. With me today is Ellie Sandhouse. Ellie Sandhouse is an Orthodox Jewish actor. He also is producing a lot of his own projects. I'm really excited to have him here. Ellie, welcome to Bad Jew. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. So at this point, you're familiar with our content. You know that we are notorious for our Bad Jew Challenge. The Bad Jew Challenge yeah. is to tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? All right, start the clock. All right, and yalla. All right. Hi, my name is Ellie Sandhouse. I was born in Brooklyn, uh, raised in Miami. I went to high school in Queens. I actually boarded. Then I went to Israel to study abroad for three years. Then I studied in YU for a little bit. And now I am an actor, an author, a podcaster, and a mental health advocate. I guess to like delve into how I wound up you know, going from yeshiva to being an actor, a uh, bit, bit of a jump there. But basically, my journey really began on March 1st, 2022, when I spoke at Stomp Out the Stigma, which was an event held in Yeshiva University. The premise of the event or the purpose of the event was is to destigmatize mental health. And I spoke at the event about having OCD and my life experiences. If you want, actually, I'll, I'll link the speech because I have a, I don't have, unfortunately, there's no recording of it, but I have my, my script. So, you know, I would love to share that with the audience if they'd like to read it. I'm quite proud of that, you know, and it was, it was just such a cathartic and life-changing experience. And I knew that I had to act on it. So I, I, well, pun intended, <laughs> you know, I found myself in New York City in the hub of, or one of the hubs of the acting world. And, you know, and I'm attending school there and I've wanted to act my entire life. So I went for it. And then along with that, you know, eventually that led to me uh, getting a leading role in The Raven of Baltimore City, an upcoming feature film. But at the same time, I also wanted to express myself in multiple different avenues. So I wrote a book called I Am You by L.E. Santos. And but like my, my, my baby, you know, is, is The Public Diary, which is a, an initiative to publicize vulnerability the public diary began shortly after Stomp Out the Stigma, where I realized I wanted to bottle that experience that I had and give it over to others in order for them to experience it as well. And so it started off with, with me uh, just writing in diaries and then handing them off to random strangers and encouraging them to do the same. And then it slowly started gaining traction on social media. So <laughs> I created a website and now an app is in development and I'm just super excited to, to be here, you know, and, and I'm excited to see where Hashem takes me next. I love Ooh. it. Ellie. That was, that was awesome. 
with 45 seconds left on the clock. 45 seconds to spare. <laughs> right there, for those who are watching, uh, who are not, who are on YouTube, you'll see there's a banner at the bottom to please get in touch with your vulnerability. Follow the Instagram account at the.public.diary. It's uh, supposed to be incredibly cathartic and really uh, just good for the soul. But Ellie, mental health has kind of been a very pivotal part of your journey. We're going to be talking about that today. You said in your four-minute life story, you you said that the speech that you delivered was a cathartic experience. Why was it cathartic for you? It's interesting. Prior to the speech, I saw my OCD as being like uh, my, my personal demon. You know, it was like it was this monster that I had to fight and it was it was my battle and and I was all alone in it. And then suddenly, you know, after giving this speech, first of all, when you confront something, it makes it so much more tangible. Like I, I find just a quick sidebar. One of one of my tactics for dealing with OCD is delineating, meaning I find that when things are ephemeral and they're kind of, you know, just ideas floating around your head, then they can grow to out of, out of proportion. But when you delineate and say like, okay, wait, what I'm really dealing with is A, B, and C, and that's it. Maybe D, you know, if you got a lot going on or whatever, you know, we got a whole alphabet. But it, once you delineate, it becomes much more tangible and you see what I'm dealing with and what I have to do next. So once I spoke about having OCD to this crowd of people, it became so much more manageable. And in addition to that, I also realized that I'm not alone in two ways. Cause I, I told, I'd, I'd said that like OCD kind of felt like my, my demon you know, that I had to fight with by myself. But then I realized that, well, number one, a lot of other people have mental illnesses or whatever, some sort of mental health situation that they're dealing with, you know, statistically over 50%. And this is an old statistic. This is like two or three years ago, over 50% of all Americans will deal with mental health issues at some point in their lives. So this is like a, this is, this is not something I realized this is something to not be ashamed of. It's not something to be secretive about. It's like some people have diabetes. I have OCD. And, and then the, the second part that I realized of when I, how I'm not alone is that so I said, number one, that there are just a lot of people who also deal with similar issues. Mm -hmm. Then also I realized that everybody is so supportive, you know, and I, I didn't have... I guess like such, such a feeling of connection to others until I realized that there were just people coming over to me, crying in the hallways, you know, telling me their stories and, you know, DMing me. And, and it, it was just writing me notes, slipping notes under my door. It was, it was a crazy, crazy experience just to hear so many stories from so many people and realize that we're all, we're all in the same boat. We, we all have our, our trials and tribulations and they may come in very different, you know, forms. Some people might have OCD. Some people might be something vastly different, but 
we're all in this game of life and we're all trying to figure it out. So, you know, it, it was just, it was cool to really see the humanity in others and, and everybody just getting together and, you know, trying to help each other out. Well said, well said. And, you know, I'm curious, does it at all bother you when people say, oh, I'm OCD about this? You know, people make those claims all the time. Like, oh, I need my my paperwork on my desk in a certain way because I'm very OCD about it. Does it ever bother you out of curiosity? Not particularly, you know, like I, I'm, maybe that's just a me thing because mm-hmm. I tend to be like very, I, I pride myself in this, that I am very non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Now that that could be because you know whatever the, you, <laughs> that could be kind of a feedback loop, but I, I tend to find that like you know I I don't really mind. Yeah, fair enough. Really mind you know it's it's it, it's a colloquialism that people use, and would it be appreciated? Do I think on a deep level it 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 could be harmful? Potentially. But until society gets to a point where we're like, okay, we got to be careful with, with how we speak about, about mental illnesses, it doesn't really bother me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will say this. You earlier mentioned that two or three years ago, they came up with the statistic that 50% of Americans specifically deal with... Uh, yeah, I, I believe deal- it was U.S. and Canada. U.S. and Canada. So uh, 50% of North Americans deal with... I don't believe Mexico is included. Okay. All right. Well, two thirds of North America. Anyway. Yeah. The, my, my thought when I hear that is that I, I gotta imagine that even more than 50% of people deal with some kind of mental illness. And I I think that honestly, we're always learning it. I think that the answer to that statistic is that the other 50% haven't admitted to dealing with their mental illness. Exactly. It's that's just what's diagnosed. Yeah. Right, right. I'll I'll tell you right now, I go through fits of anxiety that leave me up at night, whether it's related to business or social dynamics, whatever it is, I go through my own spectrum. So when you were describing some of the some of the demons that you fight, I I could totally relate to it. With that being said, though, I want to transition into the topic of the podcast. We're 10 minutes in. We haven't even asked the main question. <laughs> and it's because you're so darn interesting, Ellie. Thank you. So, Ellie, I'm going to ask you the question. Perfect transition. Do Jews care about mental health? Oh, a million percent. Now, I, it's actually funny. I didn't want to just say it. But I feel like it has to be said because there are stigmatisms and stereotypes against it that people in it's not exclusively the, the, the Jewish community, but I feel like in in a lot of insular communities, people tend to not talk about things that are aberrations from the norm. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that I think that number one, mental health awareness is the norm and number two just a fascinating like quick dvar torah that i heard so there are like five orders of being states of being right for this this is for particularly for practicing jews right Mm -hmm. and the the five orders kabbalistically are a domain something which is physical like a rock 
a tzomeach, something which sprouts like a plant, a chai, which is any sort of living creature, so any sort of microorganism to a mammal, know, anything in between. Mm-hmm. And then there's a medaber, which is a, one who speaks. Hmm. So one who is, it, it doesn't literally have to mean speech. It could just mean anybody who is conscious. Oh, I see. Okay. Any, any, anything with consciousness. Uh-huh. And then the the fifth order, I guess. Now, I, I'm prefacing by saying that there is no, there is no like hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It's simply just like classifications. I see. Okay. Classifications. And then the last classification is a is a Yisrael. Right, somebody who is somebody who is a mensch, somebody who is not just conscious, but is also responsible, or a a healthy member of society. So these are right. different states of being that impact that 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 I guess Judaism labels someone based on their behavior. I suppose. So it's not quite. We don't label people based on their behavior. But just a quick thought that I heard about that was that each of these is like a somewhat graduated state of being, okay. right? Uh-huh. So a person has to first be a Medaber before they can be a Yisrael, meaning a person first has to be a healthy, conscious human being before they can be an active participant and a and a contributor to society, you know, mm-hmm. and and a religious figure. Mm-hmm. So similarly, I mean, it's not similarly. It's it's literally w- w- what it's saying that like a person has to be physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually healthy before they can even begin their religious journey. I see. I think that makes. I think that, I think that's actually really intriguing that that's kind of a preliminary for that. I think that that speaks to people who kind of enter certain phases. I, I have a family friend who has gone through a lot in his life. He, he's a, he's a young lad. <laughs> he's a young, he's a young guy and he has a very young energy about him, but growing up, he had a lot of social anxiety. He never, he never connected with people, especially in large groups, the way that I've had an easier time with. This is a, a strength that I have and a weakness of his. And he, I think he recently came to terms with that. And upon coming to terms with that, he went to Israel. And I think with the people that on that organized trip, he got that sense of community with them. And he really had a good bonding and rapport with the people that were on that bus with him. It was an organized religious trip. Um, But then what happened from that was he went through his own emotional and spiritual religious awakening. And now he's pursuing Judaism, very similar to the state that I was in uh, back in July of last year when I had my religious awakening in Israel with that understanding in mind, with that kind of mindset, I think that that kind of does make sense in terms of the, the five different layers. I'm going to call them layers. You called them orders. Uh, I think of them as like, it sounds like layers to me, like layers Layers, that layers might be a better word. Yeah. But you know, you acknowledge the stigma that is kind of in the Jewish tight knit communities uh, around mental health. And so actually university of Houston 
wrote an article about it. There are a few different quotes here that I think were very striking to me that, that definitely caught my attention. Uh, University of Houston wrote this, that in the Jewish community, suicide rates are high. There are a lot of different gender, political, and age-related re pressures across reformed conservative Orthodox Jews, according to Robin Gearing, the UH professor, social work director of Center of Mental Health. So, you know, he reported on that. And then he also, later on in the article, it pops into this area. And it talks about that they are working uh, with colleagues to better understand the mental health stigma, treatment beliefs, and barriers uh, that are across different Jewish community denominations to create better pathways to care as part of the Jewish mental health study. Many Jewish individuals seek treatment while others may, may not due to stigma or lack of knowledge about the mental health system. Some Jewish individuals seek treatment with physicians and counselors like myself and others talk to their community elders or rabbis. This reminds me of something that I heard from, he's not quite a mentor, but he certainly is a leader that I look up to in my world. I, I told this, I told this gentleman, he's an Orthodox Jew that I see a therapist. His response was, you know, you don't need one. You just need a rabbi. Oh, you know, and that I, I, I decided not to get into it with him because I'm young and he's old and he has, you know, older, you know, older opinions about that. But those kind of attitudes, I got to imagine, attribute to the statistics that that article is referencing. Would you agree? Or is that, am I out of left field in that? You definitely, you definitely could be onto something. I just want to point out that there were no statistics You're right. in that article. You're so right. like, like what is considered a high, you know, a high suicide rate? I don't know, you know, but like- That's fair. So, like, it's a very complicated situation. I mean, um, there, there, there was a resource there. There was the MH uh, Rights Research Center. So it, it did come from a research center with, with credibility to it. Right, yeah. Statistics weren't there. You're right. In, in relativity, what's considered a high suicide rate, meaning, like, is that is is, is it specifically in the Jewish community as opposed to other minorities or is it specifically because of that demographic or you know I, I, there, there's a lot of different factors that go into it yeah what I, what I would say in response to somebody who says that like I just recently had this where I make videos for this mental health organization mm -hmm. right like quick little motivational videos and you know stuff on social media and I actually just made one two days ago and I wrote about the, I, I spoke about the, the rules of Sandhouse Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Okay. I'm it's, listening. Uh, it's, I, I, I coined the, 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 you know, martial art of mental health fighting. Um, and the I first rule, the first rule of Sandhouse Jiu Jitsu is seek professional help. Boom. You know, like, so I, I, I gave a, an analogy, right? If a person were to be going through open heart surgery, they wouldn't hand the scalpel to their friend. <laughs> they wouldn't. They Hold wouldn't. my beer. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. I, that's a great analogy. Absolutely. You know, so like, so like, I, I don't understand why we would treat the psyche or psychological ailments 
any differently. You, when, you, when you have an issue, you seek professional help. That, that's, that's what we do, you know? And I can't respond to somebody, there are religious extremists, and I'm gonna call them extremists simply because they are outliers, not in any way because I am denouncing their religious beliefs simply because they're outliers. I happen to disagree with their religious beliefs, but there are people who say that you shouldn't go to doctors in general because it it's a it it denotes a lack of faith. However, the Torah explicitly says that God created doctors as messengers of his will and that we have to go to doctors in order to get better. That's that's what we do. Yeah. You know? So like I, I can't begin to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe in in medical help, in professional help, because like we're just not we're not connecting on the same page. I I've subscribed to what the Torah says and the Torah says to to see doctors. So it makes you know? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It reminds me of a joke I heard. You probably have heard this joke before, Ellie. And that is that there's a tsunami and there's an entire neighborhood that is completely submerged in water. And the only parts of the neighborhood that are above water are the roofs of these houses, right? And so you have this guy that is on his roof praying to God, saying, please rescue me, please, please. I'll be, I'll be a better Jew, I promise, right? And so first a raft shows up and the raft says, come on in, I'll take you to safety. And the guy says, no, no, I'm waiting for God. The next vehicle comes, it's a motorboat. And the person on the motorboat says, hey, don't worry, I got you. Come on the boat. He says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God. And now the water's up to his neck. And finally, a helicopter shows up and drops a ladder. And the megaphone, the helicopter pilot says, come on up. And the guy says, sky shouts as loud as he can. I can't, I'm waiting for God. And of course, unfortunately, this man drowns. And when he gets up to heaven, God says, how come you didn't take any of it? He says, I was waiting for you. He's like, what do you mean? I sent you those three things. What do you want from me? I didn't deliver the joke very well. But, <laughs> it's all right. But all right. I, I, that's the same exact principle in this in this case. Yes, yes. That, that you know, we can't. Ain't somchen ala is a is, is a rule in, in Gemara that we can't rely on miracles. Mm. We, we, we have to live in in the surroundings that we are given and take opportunities that are before us. Wow. There, there's a similar joke that is kind of, kind of illustrates the inverse. He's but... going to be better at telling jokes, by the way, just watch. Okay, <laughs> go on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a person is in a parking lot and they're circling and they're circling and they, they run out of hope and they say, God, you know, please, I know, I know we don't talk that much, but please just give me a spot. And then all of a sudden a car pulls out and he goes, Oh, never mind, God, I got it. <laughs> there we go. There we and, go. You know, and he has a better, he has a better joke teller than I am. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's the same idea that we have to recognize that, that God, this is a principle of, of Jewish faith that God acts with, in nature, opposed, uh, uh, you know, except for very few nominal times that that it that it does not that God does not 
act within nature. Like for example, the splitting of the sea and the, the 10 plagues in Egypt. And, but, but these are, these are very, very specific cases that according to some Jewish philosophers are really even within, you know, the realms of, of nature and that there are scientific explanations for them, whatever. I'm not saying that they aren't necessarily scientifically, you know, possible. Um, I, you know, I leave that to Jewish philosophers to, to decide. But the point is, is that in our everyday lives, God is not sending, you know, eagles dropping, you know, whatever, on wings of eagles that we're going to fly out of here. Like, right. it doesn't, that doesn't happen in day-to-day life. In day-to-day life, God presents us with opportunities, and we have to seize those opportunities. Yeah. Well said. And I think speaking of the philosophers of the Torah, there are some other um, texts here that I found from uh, another article written by uh, My Jewish Learning. Uh, My Jewish Learning is a really great site, by the way. But, you know, it's been talked about before. You know, do classical Jewish texts discuss mental illness? And it was fascinating because I never knew that King David had suffered depression. The the term Shagoan, you know, antecedent uh, term for the common use expression of Meshugana or crazy, which... I, I think a lot of people would, would find very distasteful to combine, to call, to compare depressed to crazy or Meshugana, but uh, right. I thought that- it's, it's, I think that that's just a problem of translation and definitions. Yes. I, don't, I don't think that the word itself has a negative connotation. No, no. It's, I been, agree. it's, it's been, it's been utilized in negative connotations, but etymologically, it's referring to a state of mind. Mm-hmm. Mishugas means like scrambled, right? You know, and it's 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 not a negative thing. It's it's just simply an observation, right? That's right. And then later on in that same article, this pops up as well. It says, according to the traditional Jewish law, someone who is mentally incompetent, a category known as shota, derived from the Hebrew word of wanderer or vagrant, is an exempt from most religious obligations. So what you were saying earlier about how you need to you know, achieve those different layers uh, to yourself. And that'll open up this, you know, deeper religious path. That to me was really intriguing because that totally lined up with what you were saying yeah. uh, about that, that, you know, and I didn't understand it when I first read that article when it first popped up and it said that you need to, you know, have that, that, that they're incompetent, that they're not going to be ready for, you know, religious practices. I, I thought that was fascinating. I never thought to myself, Oh, I need to be mentally healthy to be religious. Yeah. Um, it- my rabbi told me, you know, he's like, you got to be a man before you can be a mensch. There we go. Whoa. Whoa. I like that. On the flip side of that as well, you also have religious figures, whether it's Jewish or not Jewish, that do commit crimes. And oh. sometimes, and sometimes these crimes, they're either white collar or, uh, you know, you, you see, you see religious figures both in the Jewish community and outside the Jewish community um, that, that, you know, commit all kinds of, you know, heinous acts that are not just. And so then you have religious figures that are, that are doing it. And so suddenly, I guess that poses the reality that you have people that are more religious than religious figures themselves the moment that they start committing those crimes. Yeah. So, so just like a quick, yeah. quick quote from Rabbi Daniel Kalish. Yeah. Rabbi Daniel Kalish, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, is the Rosh Yeshiva of of Waterbury or Yeshiva Atarshmul of of Durham. It's a high school 
that's become very popular in recent years due to its like atypical approach to handling teenagers. You know, it's, it's very new age and very like loving and warm. And, and Rabbi Kalish said, he said, whenever discussing people who identify as Orthodox who, in context of their misdeeds, don't, don't call them from, meaning like from meaning like religious. He's saying, don't say like, oh, you heard about that from guy who committed tax fraud? Like, no, that, that's, that's not from, that's, right. that's not, that's not religious. Right. You no. Know? So it's like, I, I'm not going to make judgments on people who, who commit misdeeds because I'm saying everybody does on different levels, mm -hmm. but to associate to associate one's one's misdeeds with their religious ideals is is it's a mistake it's a mistake in other words it's not that they're being a bad jew it's that they are a jewish person who happened to have done a bad thing correct and there is a difference in that statement correct correct there's this is this is i think you know the core of what you're trying to get at here exactly <laughs> but you know you, you gotta learn to dissociate your ideals and and your your misdeeds here's so like a, a quick little saying that that i know that we 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 didn't really get into like the philosophy end of things but philosophically in judaism we say today's bechira is yes yesterday's bechira is today's hashgacha meaning yesterday's free will is today's divine intervention. Or I guess that's the best way to, to, to define hashgacha. But basically what it means is that free will exists in the present moment and our circumstances, meaning our past, we have to view it as if, as if we were created right now and that we have a choice to make right now. And that yesterday what we did was handed to us. And that and that it's not, not that it's not our fault, because we still have to do chuva, we still have to repent for it. Mm -hmm. But that we can't get hung up on the fact that like, oh, I did something wrong yesterday, therefore I am a bad Jew. No, it's, oh, Chaz? Woohoo! <laughs> uh, hey guys, thank you for listening to Bad Jew. Um, I guess we're signing off now. <laughs> Shalom.